Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. to study God's word together this morning, would you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, we believe that your word is living and active. We believe that it was just as true then as it is now, and uh, Lord, we desire to hold to it. Uh, But Lord, we know that for many of us, perhaps we come here this morning and there are things that we feel that are lost, things that are broken, things that, Lord, need to be found. And, uh, Lord, what we thank you for is the fact that there is nothing that is too far lost or gone, uh, Lord, that it cannot be found by you. And so, Lord, we would pray that in these moments would you sharpen our senses so that we can see you and hear you and know you. Lord, would you speak to your children, for we are listening. And we pray all of these things in the most wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. You know, um, I got up here this morning and I realized I don't know where my Bible is. Um, so here's the thing is I know I had it in here at some point and I'm pretty sure, you know, as it happens, I put a lot of things in here at times and people end up moving them on me. Um, so I, I, and a pastor without a Bible is, um, is it's trouble. So um, it's black, and it's got, uh, uh, the cover is black and a little bit brown. Um, does anybody know where it is? I don't, kids, I could really use your help. Like William and Jessica, do you guys see it up here anywhere? Could you, could you help me to find it somewhere? Do you guys see my, do you see my Bible anywhere here? By the way, how many of you guys have ever lost something? Have you ever lost something before? Yeah? What, what are some of the things that you've lost? Oh, leopard baby. You see it? Ah, oh, thank you very, very much. My goodness. See, pastors without their Bibles, that is trouble. So, hey, thank you for being willing to help me today. How about some church candy? Yeah, that's right. You know, I remember that as a kid, the crinkle candy, right? The candy that would be in like the cellophane wrappers that when you would open them, like your parents would give you the candy, but then you'd go to open it and it would be like crinkle, 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 and they'd be like, what? You know, and so you're like, oh, but I'm trying to get out the candy. So enjoy it, all right? So here's the thing. Why, why are we doing that this morning? It's because the story that we're going to be studying together today is about lost things that end up being found. And what we know is that for you and I, sometimes we have those things that end up uh, getting lost. And how do we go about, what is the process by which God brings it about where those lost things can be found? I have to say, I can remember that there was a week in our house where I lost my keys, I lost my wallet, I lost my phone. I lost my headphones. You know, you would probably be thinking, uh, 
man, Kleins, you guys seem to lose a lot of stuff, right? But you know what I'm talking about, where you have those moments where it's like, you don't know where your glasses are, and you're like, I don't know where they are, but they're, they're right on the top of your head, right? You know, you have those moments where it's like, honey, have you seen my keys? And she's like, they're right there, honey. And all of a sudden you find them. I mean, you've had that. Have you ever gone to the store to pay for something? And you reach into your, and you're like, I don't have my wallet with me, right? Or maybe kids, you go to the store with your parents and you, you don't know where your parents are. You're suddenly lost, right? Or parents, maybe you go to the store and you've lost your kids and you didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, we all have those moments in life where we lose things, and maybe you feel like in the process, you've somehow lost your mind, because you're thinking, I know I had it, I know it was right there. Now, the reality is, we know those things aren't necessarily lost. They're just misplaced, right? They're lost to you, but you know that they're around somewhere. And you have to understand that in our household with six people living under one roof, right now five, people are always moving things, right? So all of a sudden, like paperwork, right? That's what I get accused of all the time is like, hey, where did that paperwork go? Did you move it somewhere? I'm like, I don't remember where that paperwork was, right? But it got moved. And so you and I recognize things, right, can easily sometimes get lost. And when all that happens, it can become so just frustrating. Now, in today's message, we are finishing up our sermon series on some of the different miracles of Elisha. And what we're discovering together today is that God helps us to find those things that we didn't mean to lose. And what's ironic is, is when you look at this story, it's actually a very simple miracle. But what I hope we discover today is that there is nothing that is too lost for God. There, no thing, no person, there is nothing that is too far lost, too far gone, that cannot be found by God. You may feel like there is a relationship that there is some dream, that there is some talent or some desire, something along the way that has gotten lost. But today, what we're going to discover together is that God is the recoverer of faith. And so this morning, I want to invite you, if you've brought your Bibles, of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. We're going to be spending some time in 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to be looking together at verses 1 to 7. Now, as I'll sometimes do, I want to give you just a little bit of background, some context, so you understand what it is that we're going to be reading together today. Now, if you remember, all the way back at the very beginning of this sermon series, we were talking about Elisha following Elijah, and how Elijah was, in a sense, the, the dean of these different prophetic schools. And so if you think of these seminaries for the prophets, and as we read how Elijah was going around, and in a sense, kind of giving his farewell. So it was kind of a farewell tour as he's going to some of these different places. And before he gets taken up into heaven, we know that he's basically passing the baton on to Elisha. And now Elisha has really been in charge of these different prophetic schools. Now I want to give you just a little bit more background because in 2 Kings chapter 5, 
we actually see a juxtaposition of stories. Uh, a student or a prophet who is unfaithful, and then where we pick up in chapter 6, this story of these prophets who were faithful. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 5, we're introduced to this gentleman. He's a commanding officer, and he's named Naaman. And Naaman has a skin disease of some kind, and they're calling it leprosy here. And so Naaman desires to be healed. And at one point, he learns of this prophet named Elisha who might be able to heal him. And so eventually, he makes his way, finds Elisha, and Elisha says, go and uh, dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times times and you will be healed. Of course, Naaman at first is kind of upset about this. He's like, you know, why would I want to dip myself in that dirty old river? I've got better places that I could go. Hey, Elisha, why don't you just come out? I know you can heal me. You don't have to do these things. But his servants are like, hey, if this is the way you got to be healed, go for it, right? What do you have to lose? And so he ends up going, dips himself in the Jordan seven times, and he ends up getting healed of his leprosy. So he goes back to Elisha, and he's brought all this money, these talents, he's got this clothing, and so he's like saying to Elisha, let me give you this stuff. Thank you for what you've done. And Elisha's like, I don't want any of your stuff, all right? But thank you. And so Naaman ends up going on his way home. Well, you have this young prophet uh, named Gehazi. And Gehazi begins to think to himself, my goodness, you have all this stuff that was about to be given to you. So he follows Naaman. And at some point along the way, stops Naaman and says, you know what? Actually, Elisha said he does want some of your stuff to give to some of the other prophets. So can I have some of your money? Can I have some of your clothing? And he takes it and he goes home and he puts it in his own house. And Elisha knows what he's done, calls him in. Gehazi lies about it. And then in the end, Elisha says, well, guess what? He casts him with this same skin disease and this leprosy. Now, why do I say all of this? Is because you have this one story of these prophets who weren't following after God. And then you find this prophet and these groups of prophets who uh, you see their, their hard work. You see their integrity, and you see their honesty. And in the midst of this all, you see this incredible miracle that takes place. And so if you've gotten now to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, let's read together verses 1 to 7. Hear now the reading of God's word. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we met you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where each of us can get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no! My Lord, he cried out, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. And may God bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives today. Now, you read a simple story like that, and you wonder, well, what's the application of a story like this? And, and maybe there's some of you who are thinking, okay, the application is don't borrow anything. 
right? Because you might actually end up losing it. But I think that there's so much more here. I want us to remember what we've talked about over the course of these past couple of weeks together. Remember, this is taking place all around the 8th century B.C. You've got the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel. They're divided. And we've already said that Elijah uh, has passed the baton of faith to Elisha. And Elisha is really now the dean of this prophetic school. And what happens is that there is one of these young prophetic students, these seminary students, what happens is the, the school is growing. Something's happening where it's growing and they don't have enough room anymore. The school where they're meeting at is just too small. And so they say, well, why don't we build a bigger school together? And so the, the prophets go and ask Elisha, Elisha, is it okay if we go down to the Jordan, that's where the trees are growing, and if we build kind of a building expansion over there? The, the plan was that each one of these students would cut down a, a beam and that they would use this in the building of this new prophetic school. Elisha says, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you go ahead and do it? Uh, I don't know exactly what the context is around this. I do know this, that I was an RA at college for two years and know that um, young men can sometimes get themselves into trouble at times. So for whatever reason, one of these students, maybe he was an RA of sorts, said to Elisha, who might be the resident director of the seminary, and he says, hey, why don't you come with us, right? We, why don't you join us in this journey? And Elisha says, all right, that sounds like a good idea. And so Elisha goes down with these students to the Jordan River to get their building materials for this building expansion. And what we see is when they get there, they immediately begin getting to work. They cut down their trees. Each student is doing their part, working hard for God, until one of them has their axe head fly off the handle. And it ends up falling in the middle of the Jordan River. This young seminary student ends up losing his axe head. He ends up losing, if you think of it this way, his cutting edge. And he loses his effectiveness for being able to work. Now, you and I might not think of this as really being that big a deal, but in 8th century B.C., iron was valuable. It was expensive, and he had borrowed it. And you and I might think that this seems like kind of an outside story, outside the norm, that an axe head flies off. But you know what? If you study Scripture, apparently axe heads flying off handles was a thing. And in fact, so much of a thing that in the book of Deuteronomy, there is a law that's set up for why you can flee to cities of refuge. And notice what it says in Deuteronomy 19, 4 to 7, in verse 5, it says, For instance, a man may go into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. That man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. So you and I think, well, wait a second, axe head's flying off, it's not that big a deal, and yet somehow in Scripture it must have happened enough times where axe heads are flying off and 
killing people, that it's like, hey, here's a law that we can set up that way a person can escape because it's more like manslaughter instead of murder. So anyway, so here you have this young student. You know, you can imagine maybe he's, maybe he's got to pay back his college loans, right? Maybe he's eating ramen noodles, right? You know, like, I don't know what he's doing, but here he is. He's this young, he's this poor student, and now he's lost his axe head. And he's thinking to himself, I've borrowed this, and I can't seem to pay it back. Now, he might be thankful that it didn't fly off and actually kill somebody, but he knows, I've got to ask Elisha for help. Now, I want us to maybe take a step back and, and, and think about this from a different perspective. You know, how, how often do you and I just go through life and suddenly the unexpected happens, right? It was through no fault of your own, right? You're going along and suddenly it just feels like everything drops beneath you. Suddenly, you're going along, and maybe you're in this journey of faith. You're walking with Jesus Christ. You've been doing it for so long, but now all of a sudden, you feel like you are in some sort of spiritual rut. You didn't mean for it to happen, but it did. Now, maybe something happened at work, and it was your boss that kept coming against you. Maybe you look at your family, and you feel like that somehow is falling to pieces. Maybe something happens in your own health and suddenly you felt like you were healthy and then all of a sudden that kind of dropped out. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe life has suddenly gotten so busy. Maybe there's some sin that has taken hold in your life. Maybe you've got friends that you're walking with who suddenly now that relationship is broken and they're not approving of you anymore. Maybe you have another fellow brother or sister in Christ who somehow along the way has disappointed you. I don't know what it is, but maybe today you feel as though you have lost your axe head. Maybe you feel like something that was important to you has somehow flung off. Maybe you feel like something has happened in your life. Maybe you feel like you are in some sort of spiritual, some sort of spiritual rut. Maybe you find yourself in a position that you don't want to be. And so what do you do? My prayer is that as we see this, we're going to discover how we need to turn to God. And God is the one who will help us to discover and to recover that which was lost. So notice, if you want to follow along and take some notes, this is the first thing, that when you feel like you have lost something, much like this young student, you have to admit that you've lost something, right? Really, it's just a matter of admitting that you have lost something. You know, here's this student. He's lost his axe head. It's flown off into the Jordan River. Uh, the water is now flowing over it, and he's upset. He realizes that I am no longer going to be able to do what I came down to the Jordan River to be able to do. He recognized that there was a problem. You know that if you are a part, or if you've been around people who are a part of a recovery program, the first question, the first thing that you have to do is to actually admit that you have a problem. It's the only way where healing can begin to take place. 
Now, it may seem pretty obvious if you've lost an axe head, right? That that is an obvious problem. But you know what? How do you react when the problem comes? I, I, I was reading through this, and I don't know, it just, honestly, this just seems so funny to me. Notice what verse 5 says. It says, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. Now, they say that 2 Kings was written by Jeremiah, and I don't know if he edited this in any way, but think about it. I mean, if you had something like that happen to you, what do you think would come out of your mouth? Right? <laughs> like, would the words simply be, oh no! Or might you say something else, right? Oh darn, right? I don't know, what would you say, right? But look at what he said. He said, oh, it's lost. And then notice his reaction. He could have just said, well, I've lost my accent. I guess I'm just going to go home and sit around for the rest of the day. I, I can't do any more work, so I guess I'll just sit back and do nothing at all, right? Uh, he could have kept swinging away, right? And everybody was like, no, you know, maybe nobody will notice that I, I don't actually have an axe head anymore, right? I mean, he could have tried to wade into the water and maybe think, well, I can figure this out. I can try to find it. I know the general area, but I mean, it could have been very, very deep. Uh, but he's like, I'm going to try to take care of this on my own. Now, you and I might not be losing axe heads like this, but think about this. Every gift, every talent, every ability that we have has been on loan to us, borrowed. God has given it to us. And if you think of it, what happens when we lose it? Do we try to blame God? Do we blame others? Do we make excuses? Do we just try to keep faking it, hoping like, hey, nobody's going to notice, right, that I'm actually lost something here. How many of you are in a place today where you feel like you have lost your spiritual edge, where maybe you feel like your relationship with God isn't as sharp as you would like it to be, or maybe as sharp as it used to be? Now, for some of you, maybe you feel like you're your spiritual edge has never been sharper, that your relationship with Jesus Christ is as close now as it has ever been. And if that's the case, praise God for that. And I pray that God is just going to continue to sharpen you. He's going to continue to refine you. But my guess is that's probably not where most of us are. Most of us are probably in a place where we feel like there is some sort of sharpness in our faith that has been lost. Maybe for some of you, you were serving in the life of the church. And, and you were serving and you were involved in so many different ways. You were using your gifts. And then something happened. And maybe somebody said something to you or maybe you got burned out in some way. But you've taken those gifts that God has given you and you're not really using those gifts anymore. Maybe you felt like you were walking with Jesus Christ. You had these really committed followers that were around you, but now, for whatever reason, you've pulled back from them. And you're not being sharpened by a fellow brother or sister. You're being sharpened by people who are actually dulling your faith life and dulling your journey. Perhaps there was some point in your life where you had a passion for prayer, you had a passion for reading the scriptures, and, and now that has begun to fade. 
and suddenly the, your prayer life or your desire to read scripture hasn't been the same and it's not as significant as it was before. Maybe for some of you over the years, your standards have eroded and there are things that you once said, I would never do that and slowly you have found yourself doing that over and over again and maybe it's become a sin pattern in your life. The reality is this can happen to any one of us because the enemy desires, he seeks, kills, and destroys. He wants to dull your edge. He wants to see you fall away in your relationship with God. To have the heart of God instead in your life become this heart of stone. And when that happens, you have to admit that you lost it. You have to be able to say, you know what? I know that I am not as sharp in my relationship with Jesus Christ as I used to be. And I want to get that back. And if that's the case, I want us to see this second idea. It's to remember the spot where you misplaced it. All right? Notice what it says in verse 6. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And it says, when he showed him the place. And I want to stop right there. You know, all of us have had those moments where we've misplaced things. And when you tell your spouse where you misplaced it or that you've misplaced it, what's the question that you're always asked? Where was the last time you remember having it, right? And so what do you begin to do? You, you start going through in your mind, okay, where did I go today? Well, I went over here and maybe I left it there. Or maybe I was over here and maybe I left it there. But that's the question that you always begin to ask. Where do you remember last having it? It's the same thing when we think about our own spiritual journeys. You know, you want to wonder, you ask, where did I stop praying? You remember? At what point in your journey did you stop reading Scripture as much as you should? Remember? See, my guess is that maybe something happened along the way. It certainly could be a slow creep, but there may have been a moment where all of a sudden prayer wasn't as important to you, or reading Scripture wasn't as important to you, or, or walking together with brothers and sisters in Christ wasn't as important to you. Because the truth is, you didn't lose it, you misplaced it. And you have to go back to the place where you first lost it, right? Over and over again, I didn't lose my keys, I misplaced them. They are right where I had left them the last time, right? I didn't lose my wallet, I simply misplaced it. It was where I had left it the last time. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, there are times where we misplace things and we have to go back to where we first lost it. Notice, this young seminary student knew exactly where he had lost it. And he says to Elisha, I need your help, and I know exactly where it is. And you know what? This actually reminds me of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2, in verse 5, John is writing and he's speaking to the, the church in Ephesus. And notice, what does Jesus say? He says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, 
and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So all of these things that you have done, but ah, somewhere along the way, they lost their sharpness. And he says to them, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. See, ultimately this is about going back to the place where we first started. And you and I know where that is. You know where you began to slip in your spiritual journey. I know those moments when I have slipped in the relationship that I have with my spouse. I know those moments when I have slipped in the way in which I have maybe let out in my family and with my children. And in those moments, what I realize is that I need to go back to my first love. And you know what that first love is? The reason why I slip is because I haven't made Jesus Christ my first love. And when I make Jesus Christ my first love, and if I go back to where I started in that relationship with him, then guess what? I recognize those areas, and I'm able to get back on track again. When we put Jesus Christ first, all of these other areas where we slip begin to come into focus. If you want to be sharpened again in your walk with Christ, if you want to be sharpened again in how you are living as a follower of Christ, it is going back to that first love. And that's Jesus. And notice, by the way, that when we do that, the third thing, God helps us to recover that which was lost. God helps us recover what was lost. Notice what it says in verses 6 to 7. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed in the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. But then he had to do his part. Lift it out, he said. And the man reached out his hand and took it. Elisha's not some sort of magician, not pulling a rabbit out of his hat or anything like that. It's through the almighty power of God. And he throws this stick out and it makes this axe head float. You know what it teaches us is that if Elisha is, cares enough about this one student who has lost his axe head, you know, to others, to us, maybe it's not that big a deal. But God saw his problem, and he was willing to step in. And what that reminds us of is that God cares about you. In the context of all of these young prophetic students who are going about their business, who are doing their work, God says, you have a problem. And I care about you. What that means is that God cares about you. You are valuable to God. All throughout Scripture, we see, we see this. The parable of the lost coin. The parable of the lost sheep. The, the parable of the lost son. And what we find is that in each case, 
Jesus Christ loves them and came into this world to bring back that which was lost. In fact, in Luke chapter 19, we read this story about a man named Zacchaeus, a, a man who was a tax collector, a man who was looked down upon by everybody in his society, a man who may have felt as though he was not valuable to God. He was a throwaway person. But when Jesus encounters this man, what does he say in verse 10? Today, salvation has come to this house, for he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. That's the kind of God that you and I serve. That's the kind of God who loves us. You are not too small or too insignificant to be noticed by God. You are not too far gone. You are not too broken to be out of the sight of God. Throughout history and throughout the ages, people have been singing about this God who seeks and finds us. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And you notice, what needed to take place is that this young man needed to respond. That when the axe head floats, Elisha says, reach out and grab it. And so this young man reaches out and takes a hold of it. God could have caused that to fall right back on the handle if he wanted to. But he says, reach out and take it. And beloved people, it's the same with us. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you have lost your edge. Whatever the issue is in our lives, when God brings about the change and shows you what needs to change, you have to reach out and grab it. What part of your life has been lost that needs to be found? What is an area of your life where you're asking God to move? But when God moves, how are you responding? Notice, by the way, what happens in this story with Zacchaeus. When Jesus comes into his life, Right? When Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to spend time at your house today. What does he do? He responds and he says, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times as much. He experienced a heart change. And so he responded to what Jesus Christ had done for him. He knew that he mattered to God, that he was not a throwaway person, that in fact what was lost could indeed be found. And beloved people, is that not exactly what we see when we come to the Lord's table together today? We had turned to our own ways we had done our own thing. We had sinned against God and lost what could not be found, which was our very lives. But because God is good, and because he's gracious, and because he's loving, he sought us out, and he found us. He helped us recover that which we could not recover on our own. He gave his life for us. And when we gather at this table, 
We are responding to God's love for us. We gather here saying, Lord Jesus, we love you, but we recognize it's because God loved us first. Beloved people, the truth is God is the one who helps us to recover that which is lost. Perhaps there are some things in your life that feel lost and that need to be found. Perhaps there are some decisions that you have made over the course of these months or years and have led you down a dark path. Perhaps there is some area in your life that needs some sort of spiritual sharpening. Beloved people, I promise you that if you admit, I've lost some sharpness in my life, I've lost that. And if you go back to the place where which you know you lost it, that God will be the one who will restore and he will help you find that which was lost. Why? It's because of the recovery of faith. You are not too far gone. You are not too lost to be found by God because God loves you in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see as we come to the table today. Once what was once lost has now been found. And so we come giving thanks to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we recognize that in so many ways there are areas of our life that have been lost. But Lord, we are so grateful that there is nothing that is too far lost, too far gone, too far broken, that cannot be recovered and redeemed and restored by the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. God, what we pray is that if there is any person here who has felt lost or dulled, where there's something that is happening in their lives, God, I pray that they would come to the place where they admit that they have a problem, that something has been lost, but that you would help them to find it and that you would restore that which was broken. And that's what we see as we gather here at the table. Lord, body, given blood poured out why because of your love for us in jesus christ this lord is a picture of your love for us that once was lost has now been found and so god we come here together today and we give you thanks and praise for the gift of our lord jesus christ and it's in his name that we pray amen and amen well, friends, as we gather at this table today, it truly is a feast. I know, but a small piece of bread or a small cup, but it is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. We come in remembrance that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent to the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of a cross. We come and we remember his body which was given and his blood which was poured out. 
We come to have communion with the same Christ who has promised to be with us always. In the breaking of the bread, he makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal. And in the cup of blessing, he comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. So not only do we commune with Christ today, but we commune with brothers and sisters here in this room, and we recognize that we are communing with brothers and sisters all around the world today who are professing Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is a feast of hope. For we believe that one day with unveiled face we shall behold him made like unto him in his glory. And so friends, today as we come to this table, we do so as a people who are mindful and who remember his love given, his body given, his life given, so that you and I may experience life. Not only life to the fullest here, but life and the promise of eternal life in heaven.